Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Good evening and welcome to tonight's broadcast. How are you all doing? I hope you had a lovely weekend. Lots of wonderful programming. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. I don't know about any of you, but I've been really enjoying the righteous gemstones. Danny McBride is a genius. And if you enjoy righteous gemstones, make sure you check out that other show that he did with Walter Goggins, uh, Vice Principals. I myself have yet to dive into eastbound and down. I'm kind of working my way backwards, I guess would be the best way to put it. But uh, that's neither here nor there. It's the top of the week. We have a whole slew of broadcasts for you. Make sure you stay tuned and keep checking in. Also, we dropped another chapter of the Return to the Living Dead novelization from us Peace Theater. We're reading through the entire book chapter by chapter. If you are a YouTube member or a Patreon, you can go check those out now. Um, Tonight's piece of content comes by way of Atlas Obscura. Once again, love this. Love this website. Uh, Eddie M is talking about monk chats already. Yeah, we're going to be talking about some monk action. I hope you're ready for monks. Because we're going to be monking it up. It's going to be like uh, that Red Hot Chili Pepper song, Funky Monks. Actually, not really. It's not what it's going to be like at all, but it made sense to say that at the time. All right, so we're just going to get out our little thing here. Let's pop this in. Boy, this is this is weird, wacky, wild stuff. I'll tell you what. Here we go. Are you ready? This is the tale. No, this is not about the band, the monks. No. No, not at all. This We are talking about actual monks who spent years turning themselves into mummies while still alive. You heard me correctly. Self-mummification whilst living. It's rather, uh, it seems rather macabre, but uh, there is, there is, uh, well, we're glad to have you, Eddie. There, there is, um, there's a there's a method to the madness, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. This article is originally from October 4th, 2016. It's by Davy Young for Atlas Obscura. OK, we're going to start reading. Let's just dive into the meat, the meat and potatoes of it. This was for uh, 31 days of Halloween. We do 31 days of Halloween on the channel, but we just review horror movies. So check that out. Uh, some people don't like it. They'd rather watch paint dry. I understand they want B-roll on top of the 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 videos. I'm like, look, I'm one man. I'm only one man. Um, the Japanese climate is not exactly conductive to mummification. What a way to start an article. There are no peat bogs. Peat bogs, that's what happened over uh, in Ireland. Uh, yet you get bog mummies in the peat moss. There are no peat bogs, no arid deserts like, you know, Egypt. Uh, and no alpine peaks that would be uh, South America for, uh, you know, like the uh, Peruvian mummies and whatnot. Um, the summers are hot and humid, yet 
somehow a group of Buddhist monks from the Shingong sect discovered a way to mummify themselves through rigorous esoteric training in the shadow of a particularly sacred peak in the mountainous northern prefecture of Yamagata. Okay. And, you know, again, not only when they're talking about like in all these other situations, peat bog, arid desert, alpine peaks, usually judge anybody in what they do and to seek enlightenment. They're they're self-mummifying through diet and meditation. That's insane. That's crazy when you think about it. Biz says, yeah, I remember seeing this on the Discovery Channel once. Hey, if I recall, they don't make you do it. Could be misremembering. No, it's definitely something that you, you'd have to choose. The, the commitment is... The commitment is long and fastidious and requires probably requires voluntary uh, vol- a volunteer. It's not something you you really force someone to do for 3000 days. That's right. You heard correct. 3000 days. Um, Evil flies a kite says I was not expecting this on the channel, but I definitely dig it. Sorry to randomly chime in. I don't mean to throw you off topic, Jeff. You're not throwing me off topic. I appreciate it. If I want to filter out the comment, I will. Um, glad you're here. Enjoy. Um, between 1081 and 1903, at least so that for roughly a period of about 900 ish years, 800 ish years, 821 years, 822 years, at least 17 monks managed to mummify themselves. Again, think about that for a second. Mummify themselves. We talked about mummies once before on the channel. We talked about the mellified men who were people that were literally mummified in honey. They basically became uh, confectionery mummies. They they became candied corpses. That's a good band name, candied corpses. In any case, the number may be well higher than 17 monks bet- between eight, uh, 1081 and 1903. However, it is, it is as likely some mummies were never recovered from their alpine tombs. Um, these monks undertook such a practice in M- emulation of a ninth century monk named Kukai known posthumously as Kobo Daishi. And I apologize if I'm mispronouncing these terms who found, who founded the esoteric Shingon school of Buddhism in 806 in the 11th century, a a hagiography of Kukai appeared claiming that upon his death in 835, the monk didn't actually die at all, but instead he just crawled into his tomb and entered, I can't pronounce the word, Nairo, Nairo, which is a state of meditation so profound that it induces suspended animation. According to this, Kukai plans to emerge in approximately 5.67 million years to usher in a predetermined number of souls into nirvana. So this is this is fascinating. Okay, let let we got we got, let's step away here for a minute and look at this. The, the the basically what they're saying is this dude um didn't choose to die or didn't die. He crawled into a state of meditation inside of a tomb that was so profound he became suspended in his animation. And that he plans, assuming that the Earth will even be around in 5.67 million years, 
you know, who knows what will happen in that amount of time. By that point, human beings will have evolved, probably won't really resemble humans the way we do now, right? I mean, we haven't even been around for a fraction of that time and we've evolved so much. So who knows, man, who knows? But he's going to come back and uh, at a pre and have a predetermined number of souls uh, ascend into some sort of nirvana. Biz says, have you ever seen the monks who play Beatles songs on their instruments? It's pretty good. I have not. That sounds cool. Um, the first recorded attempt at becoming I this word impossible. Sukushin Butsu or a Buddha in this very body through the act of self-mummification took place in the 11th, in the late 11th century. In 1081, a man named Shojin attempted to follow Kukai into Nayujo by burying himself alive. He too was hoping to come back in a far distant future for the good of mankind. But when Shojin's disciples went to retrieve his body, Rot had set in. It would take nearly two more centuries of trial and error before someone figured out how to mummify himself, and they believed cheat death to enter a state of eternal meditation. So when we, when these monks look at these these mummies, they look at someone who's still living. In their mind, that person is still alive. They never actually died. They just transcended into a state of permanent meditation until a time where they choose to, to return from it. That, that is absolutely wild. And then here's the other thing too. It took two centuries of trial and error. Cause you have to think there's no textbook on how to mummify yourself straight up. You got to figure that out. How do you do it? Do you, you know, what causes rot? And it's like, you know, uh, the amount of fat you have on your body, like all sorts of stuff goes into that. I mean, that's crazy. What kind of stuff do you eat? You know, what kind of stuff can't you eat? You know, they eventually figured out what they what they would need to eat. It's still pretty nuts. The process of self-mummification is long and arduous, taking a minimum of three years of preparation before death. But I've read elsewhere that it's upwards of 3,000 days. That's t- almost 10 years. That's 8.67 years, something like that. I mean, that's crazy. A minimum of three years of preparation before death. So you got to decide that not only are you ready or willing to die as you know it, but that you are going to do it by self mummifying yourself. How do you, how does that work? Um, Well, central to this preparation for self mummification is a specific diet called Moku Jikagayo, literally tree eating training. This diet can be traced through the Shingado to the Taoist practice of abstention, of abstention, abstention from cultivated grains. So basically, um, that's a fancy, that's a $20 way of saying, uh, you know, just not having grains in your diet, farm-raised, farm-grown grains in your diet. For a thousand days, uh, the diet, the tree-eating diet, limits practitioners to only what can be foraged on the mountain namely nuts, buds, and roots from trees. Some sources also report that berries may have entered the diet, as well as tree bark and pine needles. Time not spent foraging for food was passed in meditation on the mountain. So you're literally 
sitting there for upwards of a thousand days or 3000 days foraging for nuts, berries, and pine needles. And when you're not doing that, you're meditating. And the goal is to emaciate yourself to such an extent that you essentially stop taking in water and any kind of nourishment and you seal yourself up in a cave and you basically meditate until you mummify crazy from a spiritual perspective this regimen was intended to toughen the spirit and distance oneself from the common human world oh it definitely definitely does distance oneself from the common human world i i, I would i would say that uh, from a biological point of view, the severe diet rid the body of fat, muscle, and moisture, while also withholding nutrients from the body's natural biosphere of bacteria and parasites. So, without, so you're basically shedding all of your bacteria and parasites in your body because inside of your body there are trillions and trillions of cells. It's my understanding, and do not, <laughs> Winston, you're so funny. Winston says, oh, no, not keto. <laughs> this was the original keto diet. It's true, man. That's the original keto diet. I tried the keto diet, man. Uh, this is what I've come to learn. And this is just for me personally, not anybody else out there, because I know diets work for people. I, I can't do diets. I, I have to. It has to be a lifestyle. It cannot be a diet. A diet signifies that there's some end. And whenever there's some end, I just go back to right to what I'm doing. It has to be a change in my behavior and my way of life or else it's not going to stick, or at least it's not going to last for any significant period of time. But um, that is fascinating to think about. So like I said, between your gut biome, which is like, you know, that's why you take pro probiotics, prebiotics and probiotics. I mean, you have so, you have so much going on inside of you. So when you do pass away, the, all that stuff, I mean, all that stuff blossoms, you know, like supposedly, you know why you get maggots and your orifices and stuff so quickly it's not like a fly sometimes like flies like lay that stuff there before you even die you know what i'm saying like they, it's 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 all it's all around it's all around um that is slightly first of all john good to see you second of all um it's not sort of unrelated well it is sort of unrelated but it's a great movie yes i have seen midsummer and i really 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 want to see the director's cut and because I've heard great things, totally, totally crazy stuff that do not those that um, that's Ari. Actually, the other guy, Eggers, he's doing a new movie called The Northman, which I can't wait, like a Viking, savage Viking film. It's going to be great. Uh, in any case. So you have so much bacteria in your body, but when you're depriving it of the things that the nutrients that it needs that it needs to spread it's not going to be there when you die. Therefore, there's going to be less stuff around to break down your body and cause you to rot. So, or cause your body to rot. You are not your body. You are so much more than your body. You are a, a consciousness, right? Uh, even if you're an atheist, you have to believe in the consciousness, right? So, you know, your consciousness, your your, your spirit, whatever you, you may you may think of it, is operating a a uh, meat covered skeleton. You're kind of like if you think about your body is you're kind of like uh what are those things that fight the kaiju um the the Gundam what are they called um I don't know the the anime thing the um the giant robots you're basically like a giant meat covered robot 
<laughs> um, but yeah, man, that's like so trippy though. So you eat this stuff, it you you lose all your fat, you lose all your muscle, and you lose all of your bacteria, and that will lead to mummification. Um, the cu- the cumulative effect was to arrest decomposition after death. That is a concise, neat way of saying that. I, I just did not say that correctly. At the completion of the thousand-day cycle on this diet, practitioners were considered spiritually ready to enter Nayujo. However, most monks... Hmm. However, most monks completed two or even three cycles. So that's where you get the thousand days, right? Most monks completed two or even three cycles to fully prepare themselves. Now, here's my question. If they're doing two or three cycles, is that because they're like kind of apprehensive? Maybe like maybe I'm going to do it. Maybe I'm not going to do it. Maybe I want to extend this a little bit longer. But at the same time, it's like who wants to spend eight years meditating alone in the woods? Like I'm all for solitude and stuff, but just like spending the last eight years of your life alone, meditating and eating nuts and berries. It's like crazy, like not around anybody. Um, I don't know. Just seems kind of, I mean, these people are literally trying to ascend their spirits to a higher state of being. I mean, that's what it is. You know, you've depriving yourself of, of, you know, the corporal things in this world you know, will push you. That's kind of like what Martyrs was about. Has anybody seen the French New Wave Extremity film? Uh, French Extreme Extremity film? It's crazy, crazy stuff. Check it out. After the final cycle, the devout would cut out all food, uh, drink a limited amount of salinized water for 100 days. What? So they would live without food for 100 days. Can you live without food for 100 days? I'm not sure you can. They would cut out all food. So that means you're not pooping anymore, right? You're just peeing. Where do you pee? Do you just pee in your in your robes or something? I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm literally trying to understand how this works. Um, a hundred days afterwards, you stop eating. I can't imagine that. You only drinking water, and otherwise you're uh, you just meditate upon the salvation of mankind while waiting to die. Uh, this is a wooden statue of Kobo Daishi. So that's like the first guy, I guess, who did it. Many believe that some adherents at this stage drank tea made from Toxodendrum verniculum tree bark, a kind of sumac. Uh, the Japanese lacquer tree is called such because it is used to make traditional Japanese lacquer called urishi. Its bark contains the same toxic compound that makes poison ivy so poisonous. Ugh. If ingested by these monks, urishi tea would have both hastened death and make the body even less hospitable to the bacteria and parasites that aid in decomposition. Sounds about right. Just sort of like um, adding, adding a little, hedging their bets, I would say, right? When the devout felt death approaching, his disciples would lower him into a pine box at the bottom of a pit three meters deep in a predetermined spot. They would then pack charcoal around the box and insert a bamboo airway through the lid and bury their master alive. Now, if you look at the thumbnail of this video, you'll see a diagram of what this is supposed to look like. Maybe I still have that photo and I will throw it up here. We should really... 
think we need to take a look at that photo. It's kind of imperative, right? Let's see if I can find it. Let me see if I can find. Here we go. I got it right here. So this is what they're talking about. Let's let's take a little digital field trip, shall we? We're going to take a little digital field trip. Hold on one second. Let us let us take a look at what this looks like. All right, ready? Here we go. Okay, so here is what they're referring to. For those of you who are watching the podcast version, that's right. We're on Spotify and all your favorite podcast platforms. So here's the dude in the pine box right down here. Then they put, I guess this is supposed to be the charcoal, right? They brick it up and he's got nothing except for a bell. Look at that. He's got a bell. And then you have your bamboo reed that gives you a, an airway. And that's it, man. That's the, you know, at least the 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 human version of you. That's the end of the human version of you right and you're just supposed to know oh i'm starting to feel like i'm gonna go get ready guys and everybody's so excited for you because you're going on the next step of your journey right to them it's just the next step of the journey it's this is what's known as what george harrison talks about in the song on all things must pass the art of dying choosing how to die kind of gracefully i guess Oh, these guys don't think they're dying when they're doing this. They they ascribe something else is happening. So they pack charcoal around the box, as we just saw in the diagram, insert a bamboo airway through the lid and bury their master alive. Sitting in total darkness, the monk would meditate and regularly ring a bell to signal that he was still alive. When the ring, so that's how you know in a pre in an age before uh, cell phones, text messaging. So he's ringing the bell. Every time they heard the bell, they knew their master was still alive. When the ringing ceased, the disciples would open the tomb to confirm their master's death, remove the bamboo airway, and seal the tomb. A thousand days later, so they'd waited another thousand days, roughly three years, right? A thousand days later, the monk would be disinterred, which means you, you dig up dig up the monk, and inspected for signs of decay. If any such signs were found, the body would be exercised and reinterned with little fanfare. So meaning they would just put the body back and bury it again and they wouldn't be stoked. If not, if the body was determined to be a true Shikoshin Butsu, uh, it would then be enshrined. So basically what they're looking for is after a thousand days, um, if you haven't decayed, if you've become a mummy, it means you're like kind of still alive. You're a living mummy and you're just in a deep state of suspended hibernation, right? That's what they believe. And you've just preserved your body so well that you don't need to eat. You basically don't need to live like a human anymore. Um, kind of crazy. But if you've rotted, so some people would do spend 3000 days doing this and then they would rot and they would just everybody would be like, "Oh, he's really dead. Whatever. Throw him back in there." Kind of crazy when you think about it. So they would go back and they would they would seal that 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 tomb or they would enshrine it. The last person to become a Sokushin Butsu did so illegally. A monk named Bukai died in 1903, more than three decades after the ritual act was criminalized during the Meiji uh, Restoration because the new government deemed it barbaric and 
backwards. By then, Japan had entered the modern age, and most people considered Bukai more madman than sage. His remains were not disinterred until 1961 by a team of researchers from Tohoku, from Tohoku University who were amazed by Bukai's pristine condition. I guess he, even though it was illegal, uh, he still did it and he succeeded in his, in his task. And, you know, again, this doesn't work. You know, some laws are based on morality, but other laws don't necessarily mean what I mean to say is sometimes laws are just rules and don't necessarily align with whatever the right thing might be. You know, I'm not saying to turn yourself into a mummy is the right thing to do. I'm just saying like, you know, in this case, they determined it. They made, it was something that was against the law when it was just, I mean, it was a dude who was choosing, choosing to leave, you know? Um, and yes, you're absolutely right, John. All things must pass. Harrison records are a must listen. Do it now. Um, that whole album, What Is Life, I'd Have You Anytime, Isn't It a Pity, Wawa, and The Art of Dying, beautiful song, If Not For You, Thanks For All The Pepperoni, um, so many, so many good apple scruffs, How I Love You, phenomenal solo album. Everybody thinks it's the best Beatles solo album. However, I personally have an affinity for Plastic Ono Band. I think it is the rawest. I mean, it's almost proto-punk. It is just so raw in certain places. It's badass, man. I mean, it's just piano, a little bit of guitar, bass, and drums. You know, Ringo, half the Beatles, Ringo and, and John, with Klaus Vorman, who was there back in the, the Hamburg days and designed the album cover of uh, Revolver. But that's another subject. Let's Let's get back to, we're talking about monks here, okay? By then, Japan, we already said that. Right. So they they were stoked to find that uh, Bukai was in pristine condition through uh, uh, though he entered uh, Nayujo. I wish I could just pronounce words properly. Why is such a problem for me? It's really frustrating. Um, Though he entered that state in Yamagata, his remains now rest in uh, Kenzionji in the neighboring Nagata prefecture. Again, I apologize for my mispronunciations. There are 16 ex- extant. What does extant mean? Extant means still in existence. There are 16 Sakushibutsu in existence in Japan, 13 of which are preserved at the Tahuku, in the Tahuku region, Seven of the eight found in the Yamagata region in the vicinity of Mount Yuduno, making it the ideal place for a pilgrimage. So people come to visit these, these spots and whatnot. Winston Smith says, man, they must have done a lot of shrooms to figure this process out. This sounds like some ancient aliens type of stuff. No, well, they, they, they took them 200 years of trial and error. That's how serious they were. You know, I mean, back in the day, there was no social media. There wasn't a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> that sounds terrible. But you know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of stuff to do. This is the stuff you think about, you know? I mean, there's just not, there's just not, um, I don't know. Um, tonight, we are drinking um, Peach Aha Seltzer. It's all yours, Eddie M. The band name, Candy Corpses, it works perfectly. I think it's. I think it's a, a fantastic, fantastic name 
Um, you know, the thing about uh, candy corpses or malified men uh, that that basically mummify themselves in honey is that they're very sticky. And you know what else is sticky? Stickers. And you know who powers this channel? Ridestickers.com. That's right, folks. Josh Grove, a.k.a. Sharpie Riot, and his company, Ridestickers.com. Great place to get stickers. We're doing a special deal with them. Okay, it's a nice deal for your band. If you're a filmmaker, if you're an artist, uh, normally it's $59 for 50 stickers. That's a pretty good deal, especially when the stickers are uh, nine square inches of real estate. That's three inch by three inch stickers. For But here now you can get 50 of those three inch by three inch stickers for $29.50. That's 50% off when you use the promo code from us. The link is down in the description of this video. So make sure you head over to riotstickers.com. Great. Great stuff. I've done business with riotstickers.com in the past. A lot of my friends have as well. We all vouch for Riot Stickers. You're not going to find better customer service either, man. Like, you're just not going to find, like, the dude really cares about what he's doing. Really, uh, it's hard to find companies like that. And so, um, I, I, what more is there to say except to watch this quick little 60-second video? That's riotstickers.com. Again, promo code from us. Link in the description. Check them out. Go to the website. Give it a look. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. The oldest and best preserved of these mummified monks can be found at, I can't pronounce that, uh, Denichibo. Uh, mentioned above. His name is Shin, Shinyokai, and he entered Najo, Nujo. He entered the, the, the mummification, self-mummification process in 1783 at the age of 96. Like all others, he sits in the lotus position, which is like a, you know, cross-legged sort of position, the lotus position, behind glass in a box on a small shrine within the temple that looks after him. His skin is an ashen gray pulled taut over the bones of his hands, wrist and face. His mouth is stretched into an, an eternal jackals grin. His face turned towards his lap. Um, Shinyokai's Shinyokai's Elaborate robes are ritually changed every six years. So they change his robes every six years, twice as often as all the other shakushinbutsu. 
The oldest robes are cut into small squares and placed inside padded silk pouches that can be purchased for 1,000 yen as protective amulets. That's pretty nice. So they have like a little bit of a economic tourist trade uh, with these um, self-mummifying mummies. Testimonials sent in by people swearing by these talismans, miraculous efforts are plastered around the base of the shrine. Um, John of Doom says, John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band was great stuff, but I'm sorry what Paul and Wings were doing was so much more melodic and commercial sounding, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I've never really gotten into Wings. I, I love Band on the Run. And, um, you know, again, what they call it, Sergeant Paul, which is Ram, uh, is is pretty interesting. Uh, I, I, there's a lot that swabs of 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 McCartney uh, discography that I have yet to wade through personally. Another Sukoshibutsu named Tetsu Monkai resides at the nearby Jirenji, also mentioned above. This guy, we'll call him Tet. Tet entered the state, the self-mummification state, in 1829 at the age of 71. See, this is this makes sense to me. You're you you've lived a long life, especially by the standards of the day. 71 and 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 96 are long-lived lives. And uh you decide, hey, time to become a, a mummy. Let's do it. It was the same thing with the malified men. The malified men, just one day, they're like, you know what? We we're ready to become mummies. And they would just do it. They would just they would just decide to stop living. Um crazy 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 to make decisions like that um in that kind of way um so this is what's interesting though this guy this latest guy who 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 did it at the age of 71 his life is perhaps the best documented he was uh, a commoner who killed a samurai and ran away to join the priesthood an act that allowed him full legal protection later he visited he visited the capital city edu which is now present present day Tokyo. There he heard about an oh, oh my god, what does this mean? Ophthalmic disease affecting the city and gouged out his own eyes. What? Okay, so I guess this is a disease of the eyeballs. He gouged out his own left eye as an act of merit that might counteract the malady. So afraid that he was going to get a, an eyeball disease, he 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 ripped out his own eyeball. <laughs> that might I love the way the writer did this. He said he gouged out his own left eye as an act of merit that might counteract that malady. That is a $50 sentence right there. Incredibly, Tet is one of several uh, self-mummies to auto-enucleate, remove one's own eye as a charitable act. So I guess this is a common practice amongst the self-mummifying mummies. Um. Tet once served as the head priest at Honmoji, a short drive from where his remains are now kept. He was charged with looking after another Tsukoshinbutsu named Honmoyaki, the oldest self-mummified monk in Yamagata. The samurai turned priest, we'll call him Han because it's like impossible to pronounce all this stuff. We'll call him Han. The samurai turned priest spent a mind-boggling 20 years in ascetic in ascetic training until May 8th, 1861. Imagine you're, you train your body for 20 years to, to self-mummify. That means that he spent the last 20 years of his life 
eating nuts and twigs and berries and resins in order to get thin enough. That is crazy. Uh, then his disciples lowered him in, uh, delirious with hunger, into a pit behind the temple and buried him alive. A massive moss-covered stone epitaph marks the site where Han entered self-mummification amid a grove of pine trees only a few dozen meters beyond the hall where his remains are now displayed. So what? how old was he when he did it? Forget. Uh, so he, at the age of 71, he did it, but he spent 20 years. So at 51, he decided, I'm going to become uh, a self-mummified mummy. And then he was just like eating. He was, he was, eat, that's all he ate. I mean, what a way to spend your last 20 years of your life. It's crazy. So these three uh, are by far the closest to Mount Yodono. And the sites of their respective training uh, are accustomed to tourists on the sites of their respective training where they were, where they did the training. Um, so they are accustomed to tourists and on weekends, and weekend visitors are likely to encounter gaggles of retirees being ushered on and off the air-conditioned coaches that stop by these temples on the way to uh, Mount Yoduno. It's a 500 yen emission fee um, that for each one of them, uh, and the sales, uh, along with the sales from those protective amulets and other trinkets, that's what that's what finances these these temples. Uh, keeps the temples, keeps the temple doors open and their history alive. Uh, Han charges no admission and receives fewer guests, but they're still happy to show off their wish granting mummy. The temples are happy with the attention and even went so far as to issue um, a special stamp card in 2015, along with Nanguji in the nearby city of Toshuru. I can't pronounce these names to encourage visitors to stop by all four temples. So they have a, a stamping process. They're trying to appeal to the, the collector, the collectors inside the people, right? Um, okay. His body, uh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. So another one of these guys who was mummified in 1878, uh, a decade after the practice was made illegal, uh, he, he died of an illness before he could complete his training, this, this other guy, uh, Tet. And so he's not technically a self-mummified monk. His body is artificially treated in order to better preserve it. And the relatively simple shrine surrounding his remains uh, offer the closest look one can get of a mummified monk. So even though he's not an official one, you, you can't get a better look than at this guy. So it's like good to, to sort of check him out as well. It's a good incentive, right? His uh, Tet's failure to properly enter Nuyucho is written all over his face, the skin of which is peeling away from his nasal cavity um another this other place kikoji houses two others uh chukai who died in 1755 and his formal disciple and nimyokai who died in 1822 they now sit side by side in eternal meditation despite their difference in age you'd think they were brothers they have the same taut, glossy. I mean, when you've been when you've been gone that long, I guess it doesn't really matter, right? 
They have the same taut, glossy, and blackened skin, as well as the same bony hands, sunken eyes, and gap tooth, toothy mouths. Um, one other thing we're going to look at, we're going to go over to Ranker, a place of which I was almost employed last year. I'm glad it didn't work out. I'm glad it was not meant to be because I really like Ranker, but you know, these, these websites, they, they, man, they, they are very exploitative, not Ranker particularly. I'm speaking of thinking of other ones. Um, they just, they want you to write, you know, 1200 words for like $15 an essay. It's just so I was like, I'd rather just talk on here on my own channel. Um, What's up, Walter White from New Zealand? Yes, it's a good. This has been a fascinating topic. Um, absolutely fascinating. Hold on, we're gonna share this one last thing, and then we'll peel out. Um, here are twelve gruesome facts about the Sokushimbutsu, aka self-mummification. Ready? Uh, we're just gonna skip through these. It's a three thousand day process. That's not exactly true. It's 1,000 days, but some, some of them do it for three, time, three, three times of, uh, the training, right? Uh, so they say it requires 3,000 days of training. It's crazy. So crazy. Uh, I mean, it really makes you, you know, whoever does this is really sure about what they're doing. They've really put their mind to it, right? Um, we talked about that, the tree-eating diet, yada, yada, yada. That's nothing new. Uh, here's what one of them looks like. See, that's one of the guys right there. Wow. Black, definitely his skin is blackened from the um, from from the the, the 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 mummification process. And you can see his shiny jawbone. Um, the extended period of starvation fulfilled the necessary requirement of suffering. So you have to have a necessary requirement of suffering and also solidified the basis of the mummification. As the monk starved, his body rid itself of fat and water, both materials that encouraged to capture death. We already, we already knew that. They drank the toxic tea. We talked about the toxic tea as well. Okay. Uh, arsenic water helped too. So one thing we did not mention. Look, there's another one right there. Um, I wonder if that's the oldest the oldest guy. Um, arsenic water helped too. Many monks who attempted self-mummification, um, a nearby spring was discovered to contain high levels of arsenic. Like the tea, this arsenic water probably hastened death while preventing decay. That's what they wanted. Uh, they entombed themselves alive, and that's what one of the tombs looks like. I don't think you can see it. Can you see it on the screen right there? Look at that thing. After an intense amount of starvation and meditation, they would retire to a small tomb or chamber, not much bigger than their own bodies. That's one thing that was not mentioned. That's a that's a macabre detail. The 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 space that they are in, which is a dark, like like crevice hole, it's not much bigger than their own bodies. The monks would typically end up uh, about 10 feet below the ground, sitting in the lotus position. Whew. Um, and we know they would continue to ring the bell um, if they were still alive. Uh, decay indicates failure. That's one thing that the article did not state very well, and it's stated perfectly here. That's that's the best way to say it. You failed if you decayed. If you if you were in a state of decay, you 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 did not succeed in ascending to the state of nirvana. After a thousand days, the monk's body would be excavated. Frequently, the body would be found rotting. In these instances, a monk's remains would not be fit for worship. 
the remains would be reburied after an exorcism. So they would, that's what they mean. So that, that, that was poor wording in the other articles. So they would actually do an exorcism and then rebury the bones. And the thousands of days of suffering and meditation would have been for naught. Wow. But if the body didn't show those signs of decay, incense smoke would be used to treat the skin and ensure its longevity. Look at that guy right there. Few monks have been successful. If a body was found preserved, as we said, there was only 1,700 found. There could be more, but even still, you think about how many people attempted this and only 17 succeeded. If a body was found preserved after being exhumed from a burial chamber, it would be worshipped. Mummified monks would be seen as Buddhas, so they would be dressed in robes and placed in temples for viewing. Their eyes would be removed, but regardless, it is believed that these mummies can see into the souls of the living. Um, it essentially, uh, Sakushinbutsu was a sacrifice, essentially. That's what it was. Bottom line. <laughs> Maybe I should retitle the, the, the article to mention the sacrifice. Uh, monks who attempted self-mummification did not consider their deaths to be, you know what, to be ending of their own life. Um, they practiced this ritual in order to bring salvation to humankind, believing they would be able to protect people as long as their mummified bodies tied them to earth. And it was all started by one priest. And we talked about that guy that was in the ninth century. And um, he was the first guy who did it. And um, he went through the period of deep meditation near the end of his life. He denied all food and water and eventually died. His tomb was open well after his death and he was found in a lifelike state. His condition supposedly resembled sleep. So these guys think that they're entering some sort of state of sleep. The mummies survived today. So there's one of their, these guys right here. Of the hundreds of mummies who were believed to have attempted, only 28 are known to have succeeded. Wow. And it is illegal. We learned about that. Um, so, so there you have it, guys. Real, real, real um, interesting sort of uh, stuff here. And, you know, we're not here to judge. We don't place judgment on these people, though, if you do feel like turning yourself into a mummy call someone please don't do it um unless you're one of these monk guys and you know what you're doing but you shouldn't life is precious um there's there's plenty of time to be a mummy later on stay stick around um winston says now i know what some of the imag imagery on the seventh son of the seventh son album by iron maiden is loosely based on cool i didn't know that they had written about that interesting um, what else can I say about this? Just a very interesting subject. And again, I don't want to, I, I don't want to pass judgment on people in what they do and their beliefs and stuff. But again, um, I guess you do have to kind of look at this as ending your life and you should be very, um, you should seek, seek help. If you, if you have thoughts like this, talk to someone, don't, don't keep them to yourself. That's all I'll say about that. And, um, we got shows up the wazoo tomorrow. We're talking about Scream. Wednesday is uh, streaming Evil Live. Very special episode. We're going to be looking at Teenagers from Mars, the book from uh, Kenny Kiafa, the uh, Jerry and Doyle's brother, and Frank White. That's part one of that series. And then Thursday we have Sinful Celluloid with Christopher Jimenez. We're going to be doing uh, Dear God No, uh, which is a film that came out about twelve years ago. So look forward to that i think uh what else can i say there'll be another chapter of return of living dead the novelization next week 
I think I will look into this. So, this bit sounds uh, unbelievable. Go, just go to the beginning of the show, man. Like we really, we dived into it. We really dived into it. Um, John says, as a fellow atheist, why are you giving any credence to this hogwash? Don't want to offend, but this stuff is senseless fodder. I, I'm not. I, well, I'm not an atheist first and foremost. Personally, um, I don't. I don't know what I am, but I'm not an atheist. Um, I believe in a power greater than myself, I guess is the best way to describe it. And I guess I don't know. I don't, I, I just, I just, I don't know. I don't know what comes. I don't know what, what, what is beyond me, but here again, I've talked about this before and I'll, I'll say it again here because I think it's pertinent. Um, and it's not that I'm giving credence to this. I just find it. It's interesting to me. Um, I just don't want to disrespect anybody's beliefs. Everybody believe people believe in stuff, you know, and it's not, it's not for me to judge. That's, that's all. That's the own. That's the place I'm coming from. It's, it's, you know what it is. It's trying to uh, take a look at something that was practiced for thousands of years and do it from an objective uh, and respectful place, whether I agree with it or not. Um, John says, Oy vey. here's what I believe. Here's honestly what I believe. I, I, I when I think about this stuff, I think about ants, right? And maybe you've heard me say this before on the show, but um, I I tried to imagine myself as an ant, and I think about how ants, you know, when you ratio. I mean, this comes from a place of scientific logic, I would imagine. When you look at when you compare an ant to a human being, it's it's like quite a it's it's quite it's quite it's quite something to behold because, you know, here next to an ant is a being of infinitely of infinite knowledge and wisdom that can do things that an ant can't do that has lived for hundreds of thousands of lifetimes of an ant, maybe something like that, um, who is bigger than an ant, stronger than an ant, um, uh, can travel greater distances than an ant. You know, um, try explaining Google to an ant. Try explaining the internet or the TV to an ant. You know what I mean? Try explaining what a hydrogen uh, hydron collider is to an ant. Try, try explaining what a hydron collider is to the average human being. You know what I'm saying? And when I look at it from that perspective, I just scale up and I imagine that in some way, shape or form that we are not the be all end all. And it gives me a great sense of humility. It makes me realize that that I, I can't tell you what it is, but somehow perhaps something that we can't possibly fathom what it is. Our brains, as advanced as they are with all of their billions of synapses cannot comprehend those things that consider us to be ants. You know what I'm saying? So in the same way that an ant looks at us, an ant can't comprehend what a human being is at all. And our brains might just be ants to something else bigger. That's how I look at it in all honesty. And, you know, for me personally, you know, I didn't used to always be this way, but man, I, I, you know, I used to like, like crush bugs and like, you know, uh, just, just all sorts of horrible stuff. And, you know, when I was younger, much, much younger and, you know, now I, I just, I go out. It's not something I ever really talk about, but I just go, 
out of my way to um, just always try to like look out for tiny little creatures and stuff. If I see an ant or a, a bug or something in trouble or in 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 pos- potentially in in harm's way, I like move the bug. That kind of thing. Um, try not to like stamp step on an ant hill, and you know. I imagine that whatever is out there bigger than me has the same sort of benevolence for me that I do for the ant. And sometimes we accidentally crush ants. Sometimes I accidentally crush ants. It happens too. And that's how, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, But I'd like to imagine that whatever that force is, that must be infinitely uh, bigger and wiser and smarter than me that it has some sort of um, benevolence to it. I'd want to hope that it has benevolence. And that that's, I guess that's, that's what I believe. And, and that's what, and, you know, I think about this stuff a lot. I like, I do think about like, you know, my, my, my Nana just died and, you know, I, I saw a picture of her body and it made me like when I looked at her and I looked at her face and she was all slack and like gone. It was so weird because like she was gone, but like, I mean, she wasn't, she was there, but she wasn't there. It was the same thing when my dog died. It was the same thing. I held my grandfather when he passed away. He held me when I was a baby and I held him when he died in his deathbed. I held him and one minute he was there and the next minute he was gone. And so even though his body was there, whatever him, his identity, who he was, it wasn't there anymore. It was gone. It went somewhere, you know? So it's like, it's kind of like, I imagine that I, I do believe in the, the 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 theory, the principle of, you know, energy is can never be destroyed. And whatever is inside of me, my brain, that electricity, like whatever that is, it can't. It it's it has to go somewhere. I don't know where. They just determined out in outer space. How about this for you? They just determined out in outer space that um that uh uh black holes, we always thought black holes suck everything up, right? Like they suck up um they 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 suck up uh what's it called? Um just everything, light matter all matter gets sucked up they they're discovering these black voids that are giving birth to all of the gases and things that make new stars you know what i'm saying so it's like it's like what do we know what do we really know you know what is really a black hole you know is that where people go after they die is that like what happens your your energy your consciousness gets sucked up into these black holes and goes somewhere else Maybe you always exist. You know what I'm saying? Every point in time never goes anywhere. It, it It's preserved all the good times and the bad times. They're preserved forever, right? So time is not like linear. All the, all the versions of you in that, in whatever particular moment you in your life are all sandwiched in the same space. They're just not in the same space at the exact same point at the exact same time. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. <laughs> oh, down the rabbit hole we went. That that's just a little bit of me. That is just a little bit of me. But seriously, to go back to to to, to um to sort of round trip it, to round trip this whole thing back. How about this? Imagine an ant standing next to a shoe. 
and then imagine you could talk like you know you could talk um in ant talk we'll call it antes okay like ease like like you know portuguese or japanese antes right and you say to that ant you say ant what you are standing next to is a casing for an extremity called a foot which belongs to a being that's a thousands i don't know how many times bigger we are than an ant let's say a hundred let's say the a hundred thousand times bigger than an ant so it's like you're standing next to a being that's a hundred thousand times bigger than you that's lived let's say whatever an ant year is let's say a, a billion ant years this thing has been alive for a billion ant years it has a a, a, a this black box that contains more knowledge than every ant has ever known in the history of ants in this one device. And it's one of a billion devices that all fit in the pockets of these crazy <laughs> it's nuts, right? It's nuts when you think about it like that. Um, yeah, that sucks. We just remember what science taught us. We were just primates living in our own shit. Yeah, well, next to uh, next to ants, we are uh, we are we are beings of might. We are beings of might. Um, so yeah, so that that's a uh, that's a little bit of uh, that's that's a little bit of the 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 rabbit hole sort of uh, exploring all this stuff. So like, bottom line, bottom line, everything. I am not an atheist. And I'm not necessarily a theist per se. I don't know what I am. I'm just sort of, I guess, spiritual. I know it sounds cliche. Um, I, I believe in, uh, I believe in something. Um, I'm not really sure what it is. I don't think I'll ever really find out either. I, I guess at the bottom line, I believe in a power greater than myself. That's what I believe in. <laughs> Chris, I got myself, <laughs> I got myself right here. Chris is like, what did I just walk into? All right, guys, that's that's the end of that show. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, we don't get to talk to you uh, spiritually like that on the show. Um, we'll see you tomorrow night. And do you know about the Patreon? Well, let me tell you about it right now. Peace and hair grease. Hey, guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk, and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now, I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers, and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 
38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. (laughs) The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.